Okay, let's turn to First John chapter five. Verse 11, 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So he starts off the second part of this chapter that I want to go over today, um, showing us the confidence that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he that has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Um, one of the things that the world hates is the Bible and the stand of, of the biblical stand that Christ alone brings life. Christ alone brings salvation. There is salvation in none other. They ridicule that thought. What do you mean? No matter how good I am, no matter how faithful I am, no matter how a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, how kind, how loving, how much I donate. None of that means anything if I don't believe in your Christ. God says, amen. If you don't believe in my Christ, your goodness does not uh, reach the mark. It does not bring you to a level where you are free from the penalty of your sin. The Bible is clear in this. And this is part of the gospel message, and we cannot uh, shy away from that in our proclaiming the gospel and in our living the gospel. Let me talk about living it first, is that we cannot, I love the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and, Jesus and his righteousness, okay? So what it talks about is, is what is here, is that, our faith is in Jesus alone, and we need to uh, realize that, recognize that, and worship Jesus that way. And so we need to live based on that. We also need to proclaim that. We can't give anybody any confidence in anything other than Christ. Though they may uh, threaten us forward or desire it from us, that's not the gospel. Anything less than Christ alone is short-sighting the gospel and short-sighting God and short-sighting Christ. And so we stay there. Now, when we have trusted in Christ, we have this confidence. In verse 14, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That is a truth, although it's not a blanket statement for full answer to every prayer, he has the condition according to his will. That's in a very important condition. We need to pray according to God's will. God is not our puppet. We are his servants. And so we do not come to him saying, give me, give me, give me. I want this. I want this. I want this. He says, no, that's a self-centered prayer. The world does not revolve around me or around you. It does revolve around 
Christ. He is the center of God's purpose and his will. And so we need to pray according to God's will. So often, I don't think we take our thoughts out far enough in terms of what does this mean for, towards God's will? I pray for this, and how do I pray towards God's will? Take a simple thing as, as the food you ate today. Did you thank God for that food? And did you pray for that? Why, why, why would you pray? You know, that's a need. You, you get hungry. You have to eat. Why is your eating according to God's will? Why should it be according to God's will? It should be that every strength, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your strength. This is giving you strength to do that. That's according to God's purpose. And so we, we, we need to, to think that way. In the same way with our sicknesses, the same way with, with our needs, um, how does this fulfill uh, 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 the the will of God. In other words, our whole life, our whole purpose, our whole existence is to bring glory to God. And so we need to recognize that. So he says that you have confidence that when you pray according to God's will, uh, you have, you'll receive what it is, or you, it says here, God hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Um, in 1 John, he talks a lot about confidence, and that is when we're trusting in Christ, there's a confidence that goes along with it. And most of the topic is geared towards we don't have to be fearful um, of God's judgment. Um, perfect love casts out fear, he talks about in chapter 4, uh, that because we are connected, we are abiding in Christ, we are protected, and we are, are free from God's judgment, and we are um, protected by God. And so we need to recognize that um, um, when we looked last week at Moses' prayer, we talked about how God um, protected his people like a eagle spreads out its wings and protects its young ones. And so uh, we are protected like that by God, and we have that type of, of confidence. Um, we don't have to fear God's judgment. Instead, we have his love, and we have his protection. Now he goes into a second thing in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 16, dealing uh, with sin. Um, he, you know, earlier in the chapter, he talks about we, uh, we need to walk in Christ. We need to abide in him. We need to have fellowship in him. But then he also talks about sin uh, in chapter 2 when he says, well, he starts off in chapter 1, um, that if we, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship in him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Uh, but again, in chapter 2, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he, he deals with both situations. He wants us to be, be victorious in his battle against sin. But he knows that sin is a part of the fallen human nature and that even as believers, we are still subject to temptation and we may fall uh, and we may sin from time to time, and we need to have confidence that even in that, that um, 
Jesus is our propitiation. He is the sacrifice that provides for the complete satisfaction of God in the payment for our sin. So, so we need to, 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 to know that. So he deals with sin in chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What is he talking about there? Um, so he makes an exception. But before we deal with the exception, deal with, deal with the main thing. He's saying, pray for each other. And if a brother or sister is in sin, pray that, that they confess and repent and turn from that sin and find God's forgiveness. That, that's the main thing that, that we need to get out of there. Pray for each other and don't stay in sin, but turn from the sin. And so several times in chapter 3, again in chapter 5, he talked about um, those who, who are born again don't remain in sin. They, they don't live constantly in a state of sinfulness. They may sin, but they are convicted. They turn from that. They repent, and they go on to, to allow themselves to be cleansed of that and go on. And so he says, be that type of a, a prayer, uh, uh, be that type of a helper for your brother. If you see someone in sin, go and rescue them. Help them to turn away from that sin. So that's the main point that he makes there. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin and not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. In other words, pray for him, urge him to turn from that sin and God will forgive him and he can go on serving God. He makes the one exception, so let's deal with that exception. Uh, he says, you can do this in a case where he's, he's committing a sin that doesn't lead to death. Uh, so that begs the question, well, what sin is leading to death? He doesn't answer that question here. Let's read it. He says, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And I think what he's saying there is there is a situation that we may not know what that sin is, but there, there, are, there, are, there is a sin that a, a person may commit that they do not turn from and brings their destruction and he says, there's, basically, there's no sense in praying there because God is, is going to do what he's, he's going to do. And this person basically has been discovered. I, I think, um, I'm not sure if he's talking uh, about a person who's a true believer that gets into sin and, and gets caught in that. Or if he's talking about a, a person who is just a professor, uh, one who says that he believes falls into sin and utterly is destroyed in his life. Whatever the case is, uh, when God determines that he is going to uh, uh, take action, uh, whether it's in judgment of that sin or whether it's in disciplining of a believer because of his sin, um, that, um, you know, God is not, God is not going to turn from what he's determined to do. I think that's what he's speaking of here. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life, that those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And I think that's the assumption that we should make, that this person can turn from their sin. We need to urge them to turn, and we need to pray for them to turn. 
Now, maybe when it's all over and done, we can see what God's purpose and what God's will is, and then we'll know, uh-oh, that was a sin unto death. But I don't think we would know that um, ahead of time. So we need to urge them to turn and urge them, pray for them. He makes this, the, um, the point that I've mentioned before in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. He, he mentions, speaking of believers, those who are born of God do not continue in sin. That is both an uh, encouragement to us as believers and a rebuke to anyone who calls himself a believer living presently in a state of sin. Um, that should be an awesome rebuke. I don't think we can provide comfort to anyone who is living in sin who won't turn away from it and yet claims to be a believer. I find no comfort in Scripture for that person except to turn from, them, turn from the sin and show that they, in fact, are a true believer in God. In fact, church discipline is for that very purpose. It takes a person who claims to be a believer who is stuck in sin and says, that's a bad sign. That's not a sign of a believer. You need to turn from that sin. And they turn from that sin and they go, whoa, I am so glad you turned from that sin. I didn't know if you were real or not, but now I see you've turned from your sin. That's what church discipline it says. It says treat that one like an outcast, like an unbeliever. Because that's the way they're behaving, and they need to know the seriousness of their state of mind and their living. And so he, he makes that, he doubles back on that statement and says, the trait of true believers is we don't keep on sinning. Like I said, that's both motivation and, and rebuke to anyone in the present state of sin. Then the encouragement comes from this. He who was born of God protects him. Who is he speaking of there? <laughs> Jesus himself. Jesus protects the believer who cannot continue in sin, but because of his very nature, because God living in him, he's not comfortable with sin. Uh, I remember so many times um, trying to do what people in the world would do. Um, or just trying to play their games that they play and just saying, yeah, I can't do this. I'm not made up to treat people like that. Um, I can try to act like that for a moment, but I can't sleep at night treating people like that or talking that way or, or reacting or responding and living in that frame of mind. And God is saying, no, that's not you. Get away from that. You, you are not, that's not what I have for you. That's not what I intend for you. And I praise God for that. Um, so, um, you know, he, he's, he's given a caution to us and encouragement as well. God protects those. And then he, he gives a, another, um, the next statement at the end of verse 18 and all of verse 19 is both encouragement and caution as well. Christ protects him. The evil one does not touch him. That is so good to know. 
The next series that I'm doing uh, for Sunday morning is going to be at least a portion of the book of Job. And here it talks about the evil one does not touch him. Now, we know Satan can touch, but what he means is he can't go any farther than God allows him to. The evil one does not touch him. But then the next statement, so that's an encouragement, right, to believers, is that, hey, evil, Satan can be all around you, but the evil one who is Satan himself, he can't have his way with you. Then look at the very next statement. We know that we are from God. Great, right? And the whole world lies in the power. Now, if I was reading that, I'd be thinking he's going to say in the power of God, right? He doesn't say that. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's a horror movie right there. That you, you, you want to talk to people. You know, I don't believe that scaring people in, in the faith works. But they have plenty they ought to be afraid of. And it says this, the whole world lies in the lap. Of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, so we don't expect unbelievers to believe the gospel, right? But believers do. And since you are a believer, don't you realize that? If you turn from God to your sin, do you know where you're turning to? Do, do, do you realize that they're... Satan is not trying to treat anybody nice. He's not trying to set them up for good things. It says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We don't even have to elaborate on that. He's saying abide in Christ. Our, our refuge, our hiding place, our protection is there in Christ. I pray, Lord, help me not be subject to my own sin, my own wickedness, my own strain. Keep me centered in your will. We should pray for each other that way as well and, and realize the danger of anything but abiding in Christ. Satan wants to make it seem like an adventure. He wants to make it seem like fun, uh, different things, uh, a variety, and oh, it's just so great the way he pictures it. But God gives us a true picture. Protection is under Christ. Everything else is subject to, to Satan at his whim. And uh, who wants to be under that? He closes in verse 20 and 21. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. There are more powerful statement about the deity of Christ than this. He, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. Then he closes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's saying this, Jesus is the true God. He d deserves our full devotion and our service. Anything away from him devoted to anything else is an idol. Anything else is idol worship. He says, keep yourself um, from idols. So I'm going to close there and uh, go back over this chapter 
and start with the first half that I preached on and see if you have any questions, any comments on, on uh, what the Word of God is saying here um, in chapter 5. That's a good question. I said it's not stated here specifically, and so that's, that's where I'm staying. Um, any sin leads to death, and I think any sin that we don't turn from is an indication that we never turn to God. And so we don't know the heart of that person. It's, it's like observing somebody else. And let's say somebody is under church discipline, and we're praying for them. We pray that they turn from sin. We don't know if they're real or not because of the state of sin that they're in. So is that sin that they're in leading to death? We pray that it's not, but we don't know. So I think it's, 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 it's speaking in, in that terms. All sin can lead to death. We don't know where that particular person is. We keep praying for them. Uh-huh. The unpardonable sin is, is what you're referring to. And, and I understand that um, when Jesus spoke of that, it was a unique situation of him living on earth at that time and saying those who have rejected him, seeing him, have rejected the Savior. And they have denied, I spoke this morning about the witness of God. They have denied that witness. In fact, he says there in chapter John chapter 5 at the end of that chapter, something in that regard. Let me just look at it real quick. Um, John chapter 5, it's near the last verse there, where he says, let me go up a couple verses. Verse 43, yeah, 41. I do not, I do not receive glory from, from people, but I know that you... Do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe if you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Um, and so they have rejected, they have denied um, the very one. Um, now, again, going back to that unpardonable sin, it was to attribute to God uh, Satan's works. And so they were attributing, they said, you cast out Satan by the power of Satan. Um, and so they were attributing Christ, Satan's works. Um, and, 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 and that was something that uh, was just, it's just, blasphemy in, in the greatest degree. But what's the difference between committing that sin and rejecting Christ in any other way? Is not the result the same? <laughs> so it, it's devastating effect of sin is to reject Christ. He's saying to them, you have Christ right before you, so you have absolutely no excuse. Others have heard of Christ and rejected him, and they'll be judged accordingly as well. None of them would be saved. So 
Um, I don't know if that's a matter of degrees or not, but uh, I don't want to be in the position of either one of them. So you're taking that, I do not say you should pray for that, or basically saying you, I do not say you should only pray for that. Okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Okay. Any other comments? Yeah. You remind me of a passage. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, Second Timothy two twenty four. Hear this the right way. You remind me of a young man I met years ago um, who was, who was um, caught in sin, struggling in sin, right? And uh, so I went and I talked to him, met him at his house. He listened to me, but the end result was that he basically stayed where he was. Didn't turn from that sin, okay? And so I kind of felt like you felt. That's how we feel, right? Later, he um, made an obvious turn from that sin. And in fact, he made such a turn that he came into the church. He began to be active in so many areas, including leading singing in front of God's people here, speaking to his family, speaking to his grandson, bringing him, speaking to everybody, giving testimony. In fact, it's you. <laughs> he wasn't getting it at first, so I had to tell him. <laughs> it's you. It's you. That's where we were. That's where all of us were. We had a blind ear to what was coming from God. And then at some point, I wanted it to happen while I was there in your house, but didn't happen then. But God made it happen. When I saw it, I was like, it's happened now. It's for real. Nothing I could say, no sermon I could preach, no words that I could express would bring that about at the time I was looking for. And so here's this verse. It says this. Um, the Lord's servant must be, not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Isn't that where we all were before the gospel message came to us and, 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 and reached us? That, that's, that's where we are. We're different flavors and different states and so forth. So it's not condemning you because that's where I was. Um, and I can give you specific instances when 
but now I just didn't want to hear, just didn't want to hear, even though I'd heard it all my life and, and knew. Um, but to, to answer that question is that that's the state of mind of every unbeliever that we speak to, and we don't know what God's going to use to turn, but we had a responsibility here in the verse to be patient, to keep on giving that message, to keep praying for them, keep urging. Um, that doesn't mean that our urging doesn't take on different uh, uh, flavors or tactics sometimes. You know, um, I've, I've talked to people um, guilty of murder and have no remorse in their heart at all. And my urging to them was a little bit different. Like, dude, you don't know how much trouble you're in. Um, you don't know it, but I'm praying for you because you lost and you are on your way to hell. And so, you know, they just get you and go on. But y it's still the same. Um, it's the same gospel that's going out that has to change their heart. Now, notice what it says. Perhaps may per God may perhaps grant them repentance. That's what we pray for. It doesn't happen every time. It doesn't happen every time. People are dying every day in their sins. Jesus approached people and he says, you know what? You hear what I say, but you, you're not listening, and you are going to die in your sin. He told them that. You are going to die in your sin. Man, that's got to be awesome to replay that back in eternity. Here they stand before God, hearing Jesus tell them, you're going to die in your sins. Wow. And so... Um, you know, that's so, yeah, that's the answer to your question. Is that's where every unbeliever is, and that's what the preaching of the gospel is. Anybody else comment or question before we turn on the pack again? <laughs> I just say what you're already thinking, some of you. <laughs> she don't, she's holy. She don't care about the pack. She, she's from Seattle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your patience tonight. Um, as I mentioned, we'll start a series in, in, in Job, uh, Life of Job, um, the book of Job. And so if you want to read that, feel free to do that and talk about some of the, uh, some of the issues there. Um, let's close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you um, for your truth, the challenge that it is in our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you snatched us from sin. And uh, you're having us to pray for others right now. May we pray with the right attitude, knowing, Lord, that we are in that very position, praying your, uh, your reach to them um, because nothing else is effective. We pray, Lord, that you'd reach out. We have loved ones like that. We have people that we know um, like that. And we just pray that you allow us to be a testimony of grace and um, uh, testimony before them of, of what you can do, what your power uh, uh, produces in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.